0: excited to continue on in the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you are new with us, just know that we have been walking through Hebrews for a long time. We've got this week and then probably just next week uh, to go. And I'm excited because uh, it'd be easy to fade out right now. It'd be easy to say, you, you know what, we've been here for a while. Let, let's just let's just get through this and go to the next uh, book. But I, I don't believe in ordinary Bible studies. I, I don't believe um that when God's people open up his word that he doesn't want to absolutely 100% change the world through that i think that uh tonight's like tonight nights like tonight um they're easily underestimated i think it's easy to come in here and think well we'll just go through the motions we'll we'll finish out hebrews or get close to it uh, don't do that tonight i think this is this is one of those nights that could change the direction of your life forever and i i pray that your faith would grow And so we're gonna we're gonna see what happens um, that's my prayer for us anyway many of you know that the context for hebrews is the church uh, the christian church they're being persecuted they are discouraged they're ready to give up and the author is writing them this letter saying don't give up don't be discouraged keep on going and he just flat out reminds them of the beautiful truths of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ and out of that compels a life of obedience and perseverance tonight we find out one more detail about their experience that's crucial up until now we don't hear about this and it doesn't even tell us a lot about it but but it tells us enough the church is going through a transition apparently their leadership had died or somehow moved on and most scholars believe that they died And there's a new group of teachers. And so, for the rest of Hebrews 13, it talks about obeying and submitting to those leaders, but. The call is greater than just submitting to leaders. It's a call to die. It's a call to deny yourself, that when there's change in the church, when there's change in leadership, that we don't just scatter because our needs aren't being met, but that we step up to the plate and that the church is the church, that we take ownership of it and that we grow in faith together, that we should come out on the other side more unified and the kingdom should be expanded, even if leaders leave. I love how God works in that way. Um, As we look at this tonight, and we think about transition and whatnot, I could relate it to the different transitions that we have. Hopefully, none of your leaders have died, and that's not a prophecy as to what's going to happen soon. But for us, we do have some transition coming up. This upcoming Sunday, we're going to announce, because of our growth, and I'll just announce it to you guys, because this is what happens when you come to church on Wednesday nights, you get uh, some insight on some stuff, so I got to give you little bits once in a while, just keep you coming back, Um, but we're going to announce a third service that we will be kicking off starting uh, Easter Sunday, normally on Easter we always have a third service, but we're just going to continue that right on through, we've grown from roughly 200, 220, 250-ish, somewhere in between that to roughly 350 people just in the last three or four months. Um, It just keeps on growing, and we want to be good stewards here. Uh, We could go be looking for other buildings and all kinds of stuff. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We want to be uh, stewards of what God has given us. But that means something. That means that we're going to have to kind of sacrifice. You see, there's there's lots of little areas of sacrifice. For instance, we have a 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service right now. Oftentimes, people hang out. They talk. We enjoy that part because family get to actually talk with each other. Now, with our services at 830, which is not as desirable as 9, and, and 10 o'clock, which would be the most desirable time, and then 11.30, which is another kind of off-the-wall time, we're not going to have as much time in between. We're not going to be able to sit around and talk. People will have to get in and out of the parking lot quicker. It'll be a sacrifice, and you'll notice that something has changed. Like, oh, we just don't get to hang out as much. On top of that, we'll have a whole extra service where we'll, we'll, we'll have opportunities for folks to greet, to serve in the cafe, to serve with the kids ministry, all these things that most people don't think about. But for guys like me, I sit back thinking, now we could have 10 services if we wanted, but you've got to have volunteers. You've got to have people called by God to step up. And so I want you to think about those options. I want you to think about how God might be calling you to step up. But I want it to go bigger than that. Okay? Okay. Because selfishly, I want you all to say, I want everyone in this room to come up to me afterwards. Like, you know what? Got a crazy call tonight to serve in the Cafe Kids Ministry and to be a welcome team. And I'd love to start Sunday. Um, I, just, I just feel that way. I'd be like, wow, that's awesome. I've been praying for that. But I want you to ask yourself this question as we walk through tonight. Okay, let's, let's take it up a notch. If you could serve God in any way possible, like you could expand the kingdom, you could, you could serve him in any way where there were no limitations, money wasn't an issue, time wasn't an issue, energy, resources, none of it was an issue, what would you do? Like God just said, what is your passion? What have I placed in your heart? Just do it. Nothing's going to stop you. What would it be? I want you to think about that as we walk through this. Because the theme tonight, as we walk through verses 7 through 16, is that Jesus is faithful. I pray that we don't just hear that and think, yeah, I know that's true. I pray that by the end of tonight, we desperately need to know this truth and be reminded of it because of the calling he puts on our lives. So let's jump in. Chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. The author says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's stop right there. First thing we see is that it's time to step up. So here, here's the transition. This is where we find out. It says, remember your leader. Something has happened. He's going to tell us later on. He mentions in these last 10 verses or so, four times about leaders submitting to them, remembering them, obeying them. There's an obvious transition in leadership. As I said, most scholars believe that, that leadership had died. But regardless of what happened, that first generation of, of Christian leadership here is now gone. You can picture guys who maybe were with Paul Guys who were like, man, we maybe, maybe we even saw Jesus and we we're leading and we we're teaching out of that, they're dead. It's over. That had to end. Those people who walked with Jesus and then taught and planted churches, they had to die. And so really the whole book of Hebrews is kind of a now what? Now what? We're being pressured and pushed in. We're being persecuted. Some are in jail. The author said, you guys haven't had bloodshed yet, but like things are happening. This is hard. I know this is hard. Now what? What are you going to do when those leaders, they, they, they ain't taking you by the hand anymore? You got new leadership. We're going to learn about that, but you got a decision to make. So he says, number one, remember your leaders. It doesn't say... Uh, uh, idolize your leaders, doesn't say um, sit back and just dwell on your leaders until Jesus comes back because there's never going to be leaders that are as good as your old leaders. I remember uh, just the other day, my, my friend down in Mississippi, he's in an old Southern Baptist church and he's the interim pastor there now, but prior to being interim, he just preached there a little bit, and he called me and said, man, walking into this church, it's crazy. They're old school, they're traditional, but they've got little mini shrines of pictures and different sayings and different things for all of their former pastors in the foyer. Like, you walk in, and that's the first thing you see, pastor after pastor after pastor. Big old pictures of them and little, looks like little shrines. That's not what you do. That's not what it means when you remember them, but you consider them. It says, those who spoke the word of God. So not those who were were goofballs. Those who have credibility because they taught you the good stuff. So those are the ones you need to be thinking about. Now consider the outcome of their way of life. Oh, This is awesome. You know the author of Hebrews loves heroes. Remember Hebrews 11? All about Old Testament heroes of the faith. Guys who he says, you need to imitate them. The best heroes are always the ones that are dead. Because What matters is how they exited. Like, you could say, well, you know what? I've got some living heroes right now. They're great. They're people I want to imitate their faith. They can still screw up. Like, they can still not finish well. I don't say that hoping they will. I say that because he doesn't say, think about the awesome people around you right now. No, he says, consider the outcome of their way of life. They died for this. That's what matters. Think about their faith and priorities in life, but think about how they went to the very end. The outcome didn't mean that they got celebrated and everything was wonderful. No, they they died for it. And then he says, imitate that. Do the same. Imitate that kind of faith. You want to know how you honor and you remember people that are godly? Doesn't mean you put them up on a pedestal. Doesn't mean you write books about them. You imitate the kind of faith they had. That's a legacy I would want. But then it seems like almost random in verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You say, that's almost like two separate things right there. Well, here's the deal. He's saying, listen, there's a void and you could scatter or you could step up now and you can be like they were. You can do what they did. You can experience what they experienced for the glory of God. And while you do that, you need to know this calling is huge. It's big. This isn't wimpy. This is going to demand that you remember something. And that is Jesus' faithfulness that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means his faithfulness to them is going to be the same faithfulness he has for you. This is huge. Because you're going to have adversity. You're going to need to remember that. What's holding you back? Some of us, like, we're in, like, we're in this thing, but, like, we're not really in it. Like, if, if, I, if I, from stage, or just talking to you, if I said, hey, you know what? I notice, you, you know, you're not, you're not serving the church in a specific way, or you're not really reaching out and making disciples. Your faith is kind of about you and growing. It's very pious. It's about your disciplines with God here's some opportunities, and it's just, no, 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 thank you, no, yeah, yeah, tried that back in 87, don't want to do it again, like, what's holding you back from just saying, you know what, if I die tomorrow, I want to go out serving, I want to go out making an impact, I want to go out not pondering whether this is the best decision for me at this state in the game, but I'm just going to jump, I'm just going to do it, I'm just going to trust and if God's planting a seed in my heart that, that, I don't, that I don't justify not doing it for the rest of my days, I just do it. What's holding you back? There's a lot of things that hold us back. I think, I think two things primarily. Number one, we fear failure. And number two, we fear change. Luckily, the gospel answers both. Number one, the gospel answers that we don't have to fear failure because as amazing as this verse is, of Jesus' faithfulness and his consistency, that Jesus, no matter how many leaders might leave or die, that Jesus never dies now, that he lives forever, and that he doesn't ever have to be replaced, and you don't have to worry about what's going to happen to his church. That's all awesome. But on top of that, we don't have to fear failure, there's freedom. Because you can't do anything in your service to God to add to or subtract from the perfect work of Jesus on the cross. You can't screw this up. You might lose your reputation. You might lose all the things that at one point you held dear in life and hope you do to some degree. But you can't screw this thing up. How many times have you said, I want to share my faith? But I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to somehow, how many times, how many times you said it, I didn't want to push them away from God or do more damage than good. Come on, man. You know, you could preach it perfectly, but it's foolishness to those who don't believe. If God ain't doing something on their heart, you could be Billy Graham and it don't matter. Or it could just right out of your mouth. And if God's doing something and it's good soil, they'll be like, ah, I'm saved. Not because of your words, but because jesus and the message and i believe you would be like "They oh, didn't get that from what i just said because it ain't about you you can't screw this up you can't screw this up but number two we don't have to fear change as well change is a beautiful thing and it's built into the christian life that's why we as humans don't do very well with sanctification and transformation but it's built in when we first went out uh, to plant out west, and um, and we started with the name Oasis Community Church, and we started a small group of people. You've heard gazillions of stories on it. We went for a full year as Oasis Community Church. We grew, and we knew that we needed some change. Like it was it was Tara and I, and it was a bunch of new believers, and we needed leadership. In the meantime, to make a long story short, there was another brand new church in town that had the same view, same value, same doctrine, same everything, same heartbeat. They didn't have a place to meet, but they had a few people. We said meet in our building. They said, cool. Before you know it, we've been meeting for a few weeks or a few months at different times, and we get together, we're like, let's let's make this happen. You guys are growing and you're healthy. We're growing and we're healthy. Everyone would say, just keep on staying separate. Let's unify this thing. Let's change our name. Let's jump in together. Let's see if we can't make a crazy dent for the kingdom of God. And so we did. One year in, we merged. Changed the name to Gospel Community Church. There was a gal who was a part of Oasis from the very beginning, or close to and we tried to point her to Jesus, and, and, and I don't want to paint her in a bad light, but, but she, um, she became, for lack of better terms, codependent on some of the people in the church, including us as leaders. She just, um, she just was. I don't know how else to say it. And it broke her heart, because they are like, Yo, we're pointing you to Jesus, it's Jesus, go to Jesus, go to Jesus, we're ministering to you, but it's Jesus. And, and so she went through this, and she loved the idea that we were a small church, if you're in Utah, you're gonna be small anyway, but we, we were a small church, and, and we had the same people, and it was familiar, and it was stable, and she liked that, and then when we said, we're going to transition, we're gonna join with this other church, we're gonna be one, things are gonna change, it blew her mind. And at first, it was weird for some people, but quickly, we transitioned through it. A year after the transition, Okay? So we were only an oasis for a year. But Now a year after that, she's crying. She's struggling all the way through it. She's crying on the phone telling us, I can't get through the transition. Everyone else had moved on months ago, as far as we could tell. And she said, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to leave. And her heart broke. But she left. And she went to a little garage church of like 10 people that had been around for many, many years. It was 10 in the beginning, it was going to be 10 when it ends. But she loved it and she told us straight up because I know the same 10 people will be there and nothing's going to change. My heart broke because we didn't go anywhere and we ain't never going anywhere so that 10 people can stay 10 people and we all just stay there forever we want the kingdom of God to expand and that means that the general posture of the church has to be we got to get prepped for change internally externally if you want to actually fulfill any God-given vision for his church you got to be ready for change it can't look the same like what this looked like 6 years ago is not what it looks like now and what it looks like now I better not be what it looks like 6 more years from now God builds change into sanctification that he's saying if you're going to honestly earnestly seek my will and you're going to conform to my image if you want transformation Greek word metamorphos if you want to metamorph going from this to something different by nature you gotta have change. But we're a people that cling to things. I'm telling you what, in the Christian life, you're never gonna take a step, you're never gonna take a risk for God if you cling to to the things that we know are shakable. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But if you find your stability in the things that reflect Jesus but aren't Jesus, number one, they're always going to let you down. And number two, those things are going to shake. They're going to change anyway. They're going to deceive you. And it will always lead to frustration, (laughs) chaos, and death. Does that make sense? They're always going to frustrate you. There's things all around us that deceive us into thinking if you just cling to this, you'll be stable. Jesus is like, no, you need to cling to me, but it's going to be a wild ride. We're going to go 100 miles an hour. God's never going to ask you to take a risk to do something that scares you to death that isn't for your good and his glory. But your good might mean death. Your good might mean torture and torment. Our definition of good and his definition of good are different. And he's never going to ask you to do something that he's not already reminding you. I'm faithful to walk through it with you. And if you look at the goal and purpose of your life, is it to seek comfort and to just get through this thing? Or is it to be in the presence of God, which you will spend eternally in heaven? I say, let's prep for the big time. You guys are excited, I can tell. Verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Now, some of you, you feel weak. He's saying, it's good to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Okay. Next thing we see is simply your strength is grace. It's a gift from God, but it is God. Here, here's the very beginning here, it's important because down in verse 17, the author is going to tell us to submit to the leaders, to obey them. This is what we're going to cover next week. It's going to be humbling. It'll be fun. I love preachers going to love teaching verse 17. Anyway, so he's saying submit to them, but he's not saying that just blindly. He's telling us now in verse 9, hey, I'm going to tell you submit just in a little bit. But you need to have proper doctrine. You need to be smart. You need to make sure that they're teaching what's correct, and you don't be fooled by stuff. Okay? So hold on. Because you know people can cling to some goofy things instead of Christ. One of them, for them, is Food. So the Hebrews are being told, now this is all going to make sense here in a bit, and it's going to get kind of complicated, but we're going to walk through it. The Hebrews are being told that you can't have access to God. Remember, Jewish faith, Jewish religion, you can't have access to God unless you partake in different rituals and ceremonies and have dietary needs that are met, Old Testament stuff. You can't have access to God, forgiveness, all that good stuff, unless you continue to partake. And he's saying, no. Your heart isn't strengthened by food, it's strengthened by grace. It's strengthened by grace. For the most part, foods aren't a huge issue for us, although you and I know that we could, depending on your background, very easily be tempted to find our strength in things like food. For instance, uh, how many of you come from a background, don't raise your hand, just think, Um, how many of you come from a background that really loved fasting? A lot of churches don't talk about fasting at all. Some talk about it a lot. Fasting is beautiful, and it's wonderful. But there's some out there who are going to say, you know what? If I'm I'm going through a hard time, whatever, like what I'm going to lean on is my next fast. I'm going to somehow draw close to God in this. You can't draw closer to God by anything other than the blood of Christ, right? You can experience fellowship with Him. You can be focused on Him. But it don't make you closer to God in which case not fasting doesn't separate you from him. What about what about this one, the Lord's Supper? Some of you, you come from backgrounds that really really emphasize this. Maybe you took it every single week. I love the Lord's Supper. It, it is just gospel centered. It's Wonderful. We're going to be doing it this Sunday, by the way. See, little nuggets once in a while does it keep you coming back? Some of us get so bent on, well, you've got to take it this way, and you've got to pray these prayers, and you've got to do this stuff, and if you don't take it this often, then somehow this church isn't godly. Some of you ate fish on Fridays, didn't eat fish on Fridays. There's all kinds of things. For us, the issue generally isn't food. It's all kinds of other things that we cling to. It's the music. How many of you would just be, meh? Pastor Andy wasn't preaching, I just i feel like he's really helped me get closer to God. I love Pastor Andy. He can't do nothing when it comes to getting you closer to God. Well, things just aren't the same because we're not in this building anymore. I hope one day we're not in this building. There's all kinds of things we could be clinging to right now. Rituals, ceremonies. We think we don't have them at Crosspoint, but I'm guessing we probably do. So what does it mean to be strengthened by grace? Well, the context here, and just grace in general, is that we find our forgiveness, our favor, our, our access to God, not by our effort or how hard we work, but by Jesus and Jesus alone. His death, his resurrection, we know that. In this context, it's not from ceremonies, it's not from rituals, it's not from food. But the Greek word here is important. It's charity. Charity with an I on the end, not a Y. Doesn't change anything. But essentially, it's gonna mean two things. Number one, it's gonna mean, again, that you can't earn God's favor. But number two, we need a different we need we need grace in that. We need knowing like, oh, it's a free gift from God that I have access to Jesus. But there's a there's another grace that we need. There's lots of graces, all part of the same grace, but different forms. One grace that we need on a daily basis when we're going to be ministering to people is just knowing that the presence of God is with us throughout all of our day. Like, if you're genuinely going to, call, if you're going to step up to the call that God has on you, whether you think it's small, big, whatever, calling is, is powerful. If you're going to step up, you're going to need the grace of knowing He is with you through this whole thing. He's with you. J.P. Moreland said, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. I think in the Christian church, we hear grace, we think, okay, this is a free gift from God. I don't have to work for my faith. Grace is all about work. It's about Jesus' work saving you, and as you're saved now, he's got something for you to do. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we're saved by grace. It's a free gift of God, not by work so that no man can boast. And then verse 10 says, but you were created for good works from the beginning of the world. God had predestined some stuff for you. We aren't saved because we serve, but we are saved to serve. God's got plans. Grace makes you serve. Because God's going to show up in powerful ways when you start taking risks for him. Ways that you don't see outside of that. And so what does it look like for us to be strengthened by grace number 1? You got to meditate. Like I said Sunday, you got to remind yourself of the gospel, of the forgiveness you get, the free gift. You got to sit on this, you got to sink, you got to let this sink in so much that you're just saturated, immersed, marinated, whatever weird adjective well, however I could describe, you got to be it, right? You just got to enjoy that. You got to remind yourself Number two, it looks like God's showing up in amazing ways when you start walking by faith. He's going to show up all, in all kinds of ways. You see, if you have faith, you probably love God's stories. You love preachers getting up here telling you all these, kind, all these God stories. Like, you just love that. Hopefully you do. But if you don't walk by faith, you don't have God's stories. Right? You're, you're, all you hear is other people's God's stories. You can't have the story of God showed up out of nowhere. He called me into something. It was scary. I took a step. And boom, when I took the step, he showed up. It was right there. Unless you're actually walking by faith. The strength strength doesn't come in the pondering of the walk of faith. It comes in the actual walk of faith. I can't tell you how many times God has asked me to do something, and I felt absolutely weak in the moment of pondering. And thought, where is it? I thought you were going to strengthen me. I thought you were going to strengthen me. And then, boom, I took a step, and he's there. I'm like, oh, there it is. But it wouldn't be faith if he strengthened you before the walk. He's like, yeah, oh, makes sense. Let's do it. There's always faith. This past week, I was talking to a guy. Uh, we were busy. I was talking to him, and, um, and he, we, were, we were engaged in this conversation. And out of nowhere, another gal came up, and I could tell she was teary-eyed and something was happening. But I was, I was engaged, but I thought, okay, something's going on here. I need, to, I need to shift my attention. And so I sat down with her, and I could tell she was just very reserved. She didn't want to open up very much. She was talking about someone in her life who, who might be committing suicide or something along those lines. Very vague, but I could tell she was broken. Something was wrong. She said right off the bat, I'm not religious, maybe a little spiritual, but like, I don't know much about this Bible thing. One of those like, why, why are you even talking to me? Kind of like, how did you even know? Like, this is a work of God just for you to be. Seeking out. Spiritual help. And I could tell as she started crying and as she started spilling her, I could tell she was going to leave pretty soon. She was on the edge of her seat. She was questioning the whole time. Why am I even here? What am I doing? Like, they can't really help. I couldn't give her much tangible help because she was keeping a lot of the details to herself. Um, Like, I didn't know what city this person was in or she wanted mental health help and different things. I couldn't do much for her, but God was prompting me, he's saying, Ryan, just share the gospel. You would think because I share the gospel with people as my job that it would just come so easy and naturally. But it's always like there's always the fear of the flesh, right? Like she doesn't know what we believe. And so my reputation, all of a sudden I'm going to be a Jesus Bible thumper if I start talking here. But like, oh, she needs it. She's saying she don't know the Bible. but This is what she needs and this is what she came for. She doesn't know what she came for. And I thought to myself, how in the world in just a couple minutes can I sum up this whole Bible, like front to back? And I thought to myself, I can't do can't do this. God's saying, do it. And so I said, let me just walk you through it. And in a couple minutes, I walked her through as much as I could that, that seemed applicable. And at the end, it seemed like it made sense. I don't know what all I said, what I didn't. But I remember in that moment, as I was kind of just watching her process, Like, this is what the Christian faith is all about. I remember that moment just smiling in my heart, thinking, God, this is just like when I was a brand new baby Christian and I was sharing my faith for the first time. Like, I'm strengthened by grace right in the middle of the walk. I didn't think I could. Like, it doesn't get old and it doesn't change. It doesn't change. Like, your step of faith today might be different than it was five, ten years ago, but, like, the strengthening of grace is so beautiful, and it just comes in the middle. And you say, well, that's a God story, so would she just fall on her face and get saved? No. No. But her story isn't over yet. Like, I hope that I got a whole bunch of God stories that I'm right in the middle of. I don't know what the God stories look like in your life, but I know he wants to give you some. But you're gonna have to start walking. You're gonna have to start risking a little bit. Verses ten through fourteen. And we're gonna spend the rest of our time parked on this a little bit. It's a, it gets a little bit complicated, but there's a beautiful truth in this. It says we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. is a real encourager the call to die there's a beauty in this there's a beauty in this but we got a little groundwork to do first so let's walk through this verse 10 it said for we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat so the author is going to be bringing up uh way back in leviticus the day of atonement the high priests 99 percent of the year Okay, every day except for the Day of Atonement, they can go and eat a portion of the sacrifices. Like that's where they're getting their meat. Okay, so um, for them to eat at the altar was common, and so the author's saying, "You guys, you have your your old religion. You have the the old covenant. You have the." temple, the Jerusalem tabernacle, when he refers to tent, tabernacle, you have all these things and you think you get access to God through them. We have an altar that we eat at that you guys can't go to. We get to eat grace, right? We got the altar of grace. And here the beautiful part comes up. It says in verse 11 now, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So then Jesus, he also suffered outside the camp to make holy or sanctify the people through his blood. So here's what he's saying. Day of atonement. Three animals, two goats, one bull. One goat will not be killed. It'll be a scapegoat set apart, sent out into the wilderness, uh, essentially representing the sins of the people, taken out of Jerusalem, taken away from the city. People love the Day of Atonement. This is a good day, okay? They look forward to this day. Guilt, shame, all the burdens, it's going to come off on this day. Don't last long, but it's going to come off. Two other animals, the other goat and the bull, they're sacrificed. Their blood is taken into the holy places, so the, the high priest is going to take it, he's going to sprinkle it over the Ark of the Covenant and some other items, and it's going to sanctify, it's going to make holy the people. But then the bodies of those same animals, instead of the high priest being able to eat them, on this one day they can't eat, is taken outside of the city and burned. Now this means something because on that day, the high priest, they don't eat the meat of the sacrifice. They feast on forgiveness. They feast on grace. They get this one beautiful day where Israel's cleansed. Things have changed. And they get to just enjoy forgiveness. Now, here's where it's beautiful. Because in verse 12, He's going to tell us Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. That the day of atonement pointed to Jesus and what he would do outside of the city gate. That not one day of the year do you get a feast on forgiveness and grace, but 365 days out of the year, Christians get a feast on grace. That we get to eat at a better temple. We get to eat at a better altar. Like you, you're clinging. These Hebrews are t- like, well, do we go back into our Jewish faith? Like, uh, at least we kind of knew we had some tangible things we could cling to. And there was one beautiful day, and it is great and wonderful. And he's saying, no, do you not get that all that was pointing to Jesus? And he just crashed that system. He fulfilled it. He's better than it. Like you don't get one day that you get to look forward to. Like, hey, it's coming. That one day's coming. That one day's coming. You can risk for Jesus because he's with you all the time, giving you perfect eternal access to the Father at any given second, any given moment. He he doesn't change. You don't have to eat the food that you sacrifice. You get grace. You got a food that's better than what they got. You get it all day, every day. Let me ask you this: We talk about feasting on grace, 365 days a year. How many times, is midway through the morning, you're at work, you're at home with the kids? wherever it might be, and you're thinking to yourself halfway through the morning, man, I'm already frustrated. I'm irritated. I've got inner turmoil going on. I know it's spiritual. And I traded in a breakfast of grace for some toast and coffee. You jumped up. First thing in the morning, you got the Holy Spirit in you, but you didn't lean on him. You just went on through your day, and very quickly, the sins and the brokenness of this world and our own flesh caught up with us, reminding us, are you feasting on grace? How many times are we getting through our days just to look back and say, something didn't start off right? And not only that, but I'm not, I'm not feasting on grace hardly at all. And it's wearing me out. Isn't that the irony of grace? It's free. You ain't got to work. But man, if you don't work to enjoy it, you don't find that you're ever feasting on it. And it's wearing you out. If you surrender to the call of ministry that God has on your life, your life is going to remind you daily that you desperately need to be feasting on some grace. It's going to happen. We were in the most Christian place in America, Liberty University. You got 30 some percent of this city of 100,000 people, Lynchburg, Virginia, they're not just Christians, they're Southern Baptists. A third of the city Southern Baptist. 15 to 20% of Salina is Christian. Just in case you forgot how lost our city is. But over a third were Southern Baptists. We had the best preachers coming from all over the world. And they were just <laughs> half a mile from home. And we, Tara and I, we were just immersed in Christianity and fellowship and fun. It was so enjoyable. And for a year, we knew we were going to a place that was going to be completely the opposite And we got out there, and that first month, man, I thought we were prayed up, we were ready to go. Oh, man, I was reminded every single day. It seemed like every time we turned around, we showed up there. Within the first week, there's two Southern Baptist preachers in the area. One of them, his son, just give you an idea of the spiritual oppression and turmoil. His son, 20-some years old, had a little baby girl. He just drank some Drano just because he wanted to end it for a week plus. He sits in the hospital as his insides rot out, and he dies. As a pastor's kid. Last week we were there, (laughs) same thing happened with another pastor's kid. But after that thing, at the very beginning, we sat down with the two people that we knew. uh, (laughs) That first week we were there, the two people we knew, they, they, they were leaders, they helped us come out. We got out there just to find out they don't really like us. They were older. They were traditional. We had the gospel in common. We loved each other. We do to this day through that unity, that commonality. But like the way they thought, they came in, they said, is Tara going to be playing piano? Or like, no, that, that's what pastor's wives do down in Louisiana. That's where they were from. And like they, we just we could not see eye to eye. We had dinner with them one time in the two years they were in price. Like, we, just, they, we were there, but we weren't, and we were like, man, we're alone. This is horrible. Before we started having worship services, I remember we went to the other Southern Baptist church in town, and there was like 10 to 15 people. The building was the size of, of a typical building like this, but there's 10, 15 people, and there's no one leading worship except for the pastor who pastored three churches in the area, and he he, his 12-year-old daughter is playing piano and singing, and one song, she just forgot the lyrics, like... Two thirds of the song just stopped singing and just kind of played a little bit. Like it was so sad. It was like that's 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 it was just microcosms of the spiritual condition out there. We left the worship service, and I remember we we're driving through the, the drive through at McDonald's, and I just told Tara, I want to kill myself. And it was real. It was so hopeless. Like I something inside me just felt. Like I wanted death more than I wanted life. And she said, "That's not good." I said, "That's reality." We were reminded all the time that we needed. We needed grace. We needed grace. So verse 13 tells us, because we have that grace in Jesus, we should go outside. This is where the call to die comes in. We go outside and we endure what he endures. That's the irony. Instead of working or earning our way to heaven, because Jesus provides a way, it compels us and motivates us then to serve him in radical ways. And so the call is to go and, and to experience death like he does. And if you looked at verse 14 and said, what, just based on this context, what, why did Jesus die? For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. It's not that paradise would come to Salina, Kansas. It's that the people in Salina, Kansas would stop trying to seek paradise here. This isn't our city. This isn't where we belong And there's nothing we can cling to here that's going to give us what he gives us. Think about it. What are you stressed out about this week? What's going on in your life that's just tearing you up inside? What what of those things actually has eternal impact? Compared to which of those things, if not all of them, is perishing? Perishing. Is it worth getting stressed over things that don't have eternal impact? Sometimes that's hard to measure, but sometimes it's not. The beauty of our faith is twofold. The gospel beauty is twofold. Number one, it's death. And number two, it's life. You look at Jesus' life and we think of the miracles, all of the awesome things he did on earth and it was so beautiful and wonderful. We think about the resurrection and it's awesome, but we all come to Good Friday, don't we? Right? We come to Good Friday because we think about the death. There are so many things that hinge Christianity, just a linchpin for Christianity. If they don't happen, the whole thing doesn't matter. But one of them is the death and it is nasty and it's horrific and what he did for us, but it is a beautiful part of the story that had to happen. And you could focus on a million other things, but you've got to focus on that because number two, he calls us to experience death. Like we, we, we celebrate life, but you don't get life unless you die. Deny yourself, die to your flesh, say, I'm not going to live for my own opinions, my own comfort, my own desires. I'm dying to it. I'm going to just die to it. Jesus said in John 12, as you find in Galatians 5 and 6, you see in in Romans 6, you see in 1 Peter, um, like it's all over the place, the idea that we as Christians are called to die. Jesus tells us in John 12, verses 24 and 25, he says, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit.'" whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In other words, if you fall into the ground, you hear the gospel message, and you as a piece of wheat, you a grain who could have fruit come out of you, if you just sit there and you don't die, nothing changes. Nothing changes. You just sit alone in the ground. But if you die, if you hear it and the seed is planted and you die to yourself and you say, I'm giving up everything to follow this, there will be fruit that comes out of that that is beautiful, namely life. Namely life. We say, is there anybody, though, who really takes this stuff serious? Quickly, I'll read. During this persecution in the year A.D. 110, Ignatius, this is a leader in the early church, who was the overseer of the church in Antioch, the capital of Syria, this is where Paul was originally from, where the disciples were first called Christians, was sent to Rome because he professed and taught Christ. It's said that when he passed through Asia... Even though guarded by soldiers, he preached the word of God in every city. They traveled through and encouraged and strengthened the churches. While in Smyrna, he wrote to the church at Rome and appealed to them not to try to deliver him from martyrdom because that would deprive him of that which he most longed for. Don't stop me from dying is what he's saying. He wrote, now I begin to be a disciple. I care for nothing of visible or invisible things, so that I may but win Christ. Let fire and the cross, let the companies of wild beasts, let breaking of bones and tearing of limbs, let the grinding of the whole body and all the malice of the devil come upon me. Be it so. Only may I win Christ Jesus. Going back to the grain of wheat, he said. It said about him, even when he was sentenced to be fed to lions and could hear their roaring, he was filled with such desire to suffer for Christ that he said, I am the wheat of Christ. I am going to be ground with the teeth of wild beasts that I may be found pure bread. Martyrdom became so popular and by the second and third century, they had to convince people you don't always have to die literally. Jonathan Edwards said of the Christian faith, I know I'm parking here for a bit, but it's important. He said of the Christian faith, it's like honey. You could share with me, tell me just by seeing honey, the beautiful golden hue, the way the sun reflects off of it, the viscosity of it, But you can't tell that honey is sweet unless you taste it. I could tell you all day honey sweet. But unless you taste it, I might as well be a liar. There are some of us who want to grow in Christ, but we don't want to die to self. And you can't. You can't grow in Christ unless you die to self. And it's a daily choice. Last but not least, verses 15 and 16, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The fruit of sacrifice is this, verse 15, you sacrifice, you die to yourself. There's gonna be times you don't feel like praising God, You praise Him anyway. Verse 16 says, you hear all this, you can just take it and you can leave. I'm telling you, don't neglect it. Do good. Offer them what you have. And what we have, church, is the gospel. And there's not one person in here tonight who God isn't calling to be part of His kingdom expansion. Don't underestimate the call he has. Don't underestimate the next step of faith. I want to remind you before we leave here tonight. Sometimes in my own thoughts, I think to myself, I feel silly asking people, We talk about third service. We talk about all these things. There's so many awesome things we could be doing for the sake of Christ. I feel silly asking people to be greeters at the door or cafe people or kids ministry stuff. But I'm telling you what. You think about someone who has denied the name of Jesus their entire life, who has been pushed away by religion, who has been pushed away by broken experiences all through their life, and they have their idea and presuppositions of who God is, and he is against us. And he doesn't know nothing about the gospel, but he comes walking up to these doors, and they see the very first person handing them a bulletin opening that door and in their eyes they see a joy that only comes from jesus and the message they're about to hear in a few minutes has been seen in the eyes of the one opening the door you tell me greeting's not important you tell me the person who comes from a traditional church that's put god in a box and their own existence in a box saying you know what this is who god is we sing these songs we do these things we have rituals we have all this i'm used to it and and this is weird and what you you tell me when they see someone with a coffee pot come to a coffee bar, come to a cafe within a church building, and you see bondage shatter from their mind as to what they think church is and who maybe God is. And tell me that the cafe stuff ain't that important. And then you just look at the next generation of world changers and tell me there's anything more important than going back in there and loving our kids. Some of them, back there for one week only, maybe never to hear the gospel message again. Others to be growing and sanctifying here until Jesus comes back. Who knows? But it's all important. Go back to the first question you asked yourself tonight. If resources, if it wasn't money, time, energy, if nothing hindered you, if there was nothing holding you back, what would you do for the glory of God? There's life, but there's got to be death. Tell me it ain't worth the sacrifice. We got grace. It's going to compel you to do some crazy stuff, but you can rest in the finished work of Jesus and serve in freedom. Let's pray.